Hey everybody, Krista Hornier, your mining coach, and I am so excited to have you back this week. And if you're a visitor for the first time, welcome here to the Mining Coach Podcast, where our job is to add maximum value to your mining career. So it doesn't matter really where you are in your mining career, whether you are also not a professional, and when I say professional, you not necessarily have a formal qualification or degree or diploma, but you just want to become the best version of yourself. You're in the right place. Our job is to add value to you, to share our experiences, to help you with what we've learned and maybe, just maybe, and I'm sure there will be many cases where what we've learned and what we've experienced will add value to you and give you some guidance and some support on along this wonderful journey, which we call mining. First of all, I just want to give a big shout out and a big thank you for the overwhelming support to our very first podcast, which podcast, which was last week. And this is the second one. And it has been wonderful. The text messages, the emails, the personal messages, the phone calls. Thank you so much. It is awesome. It really helps us. It gives us sort of an idea that we are on the right track and your feedback is super important to us. So yes, you can visit us at www.theminingcoach.com and you'll get some resources there and you'll also able to give us some feedback and reach out to us on email. So thank you very much for joining us today. So yeah, we want to be your partner. We want to be your partner in improving yourself and the self-learning and the self-development. We want to be your partner whether you working out and whether you're out in the gym or running on the treadmill, whatever you do to relax and spend some time and invest in yourself, that's really what we want to do in this podcast. I'm just going to take a moment to recap what we spoke about last week. I shared a lot of detail about my early part of my career and how that all came about, how I got into mining and the reason why the detail was shared is I think a lot of times, I know a lot of times, we don't share our vulnerabilities and what we're going through in our, in our minds, in our lives, with maybe the very closest people in our lives, the inner circle. Those people know what's happening and, you know, all the, all the worries and all the concerns and the fears that we have as we start our careers. And I share a lot of that detail so that, just one or two people that can associate with that. And today, uh, we're going to do that as well. We're going to share a lot of detail in the sort of the second part of my career. And we last week, we spoke about doubting yourself, how I got into the mining game by accident, just getting a job and trying to pay off a bursary loan. And we also spoke about the value of balancing family and work. And the role of mentors and coaches, they are so super important. Uh, the key moment in my career where a mentor, a coach, a lecturer actually at the, at the institution I was doing my diploma studies just helped me to make a very important decision and it changed my life forever. We spoke about persistence, the willingness to grind and work hard and building your self-belief. And that's, that sort of covered what we spoke about last week. Today, I'm very excited because today we're going to go a little bit deeper into sort of the mid-management level, so up to uh, manager level. And we're going to talk about how safety incidents changed me and my thinking and my care for people. 
We're going to talk a little bit about further studies and our fellow colleagues and the criticism I received from them, how that shaped me and how I made changes to my own, you know, approach with people and leading teams and also just developing myself throughout the process because because it is all about continuous development. Even now at, you know, having been in this game for 25 plus years, I really want to carry on learning. I'm a student for life. It's my philosophy of deep learning and continue to grow and develop. And even in this phase, we'll talk about that sort of development. Talk a little bit about team dynamics and the value of experienced members in your team and leveraging those those skills and knowledge. And then an intervention with the GM, uh, a key point in my life as well, how that shaped me. And finally, also, um, we're going to, in this whole second podcast, we're also going to touch on, the, on touch on the fact that I wanted to quit mining again. Yes, I'm absolutely sure that I'm not alone in this. And more than one of you have gone through a period in your career where you wanted to quit this, this job or what you're busy with. So yeah, we'll touch on that. So we'll take a quick break and then I'm going to get straight into this second podcast and I'm really, really excited about sharing this with you. Okay, we are back. Thank you. We've just touched on the fact that I have, on the on the first podcast, I shared with you that I got to the point where I actually managed to, to get my degree and graduate at the age of 30 as a mining engineer. And so we moved from that stage, we moved to a very small, very, 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 very small mining town. I think there was 125 houses in this mining town, so in the middle of nowhere. And I got a job as a senior shift supervisor. It's sort of the plan was immediately that I would step into a mining superintendent role as quickly as possible. And in that first couple of months, I started getting to know the mine. It was an underground mine. And there was an incident where my very first experience with, call it unethical behavior, took place where I received a phone call on a Saturday afternoon that a person was found deceased at the um, in an underground area that was supposed to be in my area of responsibility. I didn't even know that this was my area of responsibility. But a long story short is there was a whole inquiry and an investigation of what happened, and this was an illegal miner or a person that was involved with illegal mining of stealing um, underground, stealing copper underground. And I think my very first exposure to how this incident was sort of the buck was passed back to me and I saw how our leadership didn't behave ethically and wanted to, in a way, sugarcoat or play down the realities of this massive underground area that was not barricaded off and people had access to that and, you know, anybody could go there. And that was a defined moment in my life in terms of safety where I realized there's a reason why you block off or barricade off old areas because you don't want people to unnecessarily be in that area. You want people to, when they just 
get themselves lost underground and they get to a point where they don't know where to go, there's at least a barrier of some sort that tells them you shouldn't go in here. And this was a very defined moment in my life. And uh, the second sort of safety incident was a very traumatic one where a one of my colleagues was killed um, in a in a horrific accident underground, and and it was it was actually cut up in three pieces. And myself and the and the doctor of the mine went to the site, uh, and we the team was absolutely traumatized, understandably so, and. I helped actually the doctor to get this this colleague of ours in into a body bag and deal with this very traumatic incident. And it was again a defining moment in my career where I realized that it is super important to have some safety measures in place and why crews need to understand the why of certain rules and regulations of of procedures and why those are in place and. I guess we all know that, that, you know, a lot of the mining regulations and processes and procedures and code of practices and standards are there to protect people because they were written in blood. Somebody has paid either with their life or a limb or some way was harmed by by an event. And that's why these rules are there, because they were written in blood. And it was once again a turning point in my career where I realized the importance of a supervisor to actually take accountability and responsibility for the area that you're appointed in and really be diligent at what you do and your inspections and the reason for your for your position as as a leader as a supervisor and your knowledge and the importance of raising a hand when things are not okay and when the people don't have, you either don't have the budget or you don't have the means to create a safe environment. It is it is important to understand. And for me, I started realizing how exposed in a lot of ways the managers and the GMs are if people take chances and they, you know, they, they take shortcuts. And when the training and the education that we do and the coaching that we do underground, if that's not properly done, then people don't know what they don't know. And in a lot of cases, we have a turnover of people. There's always people going on retirement. There's always, you know, whether you're in a, in a build-up mine where, you know, the mine is busy expanding, there's new people coming in, they don't know the history. I realized very quickly the importance of making sure people understand the why. I remember an, a specific day, and I've, I've told this story many, many times after after that, this event, there was a day I was walking uh, with a a shift supervisor underground, and now I already have received a promotion as mining superintendent. I was now mine mine overseer, uh, and I had quite a large area of responsibility. It was over five hundred people that that I was responsible for, and I had like seven or eight um, shift bosses reporting to me, and I was walking with this one shift was underground and we saw some some issues that, that had to be resolved. 
And I got very frustrated with having to explain to this person again why is this not acceptable and why do we have to do it in a certain way. And super frustrated to say to say to say the least. I was I was very agitated. And then and I can't remember exactly when it was in that week or whether it was in the changes after I came out from underground or I was doing, I don't know, contemplating what happened. And the penny dropped for me to understand that your job as supervisor, as leader, is to tell the same story a thousand times over if it needs to be. Because maybe the person that you are sharing the, the why of a certain standard or the why of a procedure or a why of, of safety steps to be taken. Maybe it's the very first time that they they hear about the why. <coughs> Excuse me, I, I had a sneeze there. <laughs> and maybe that's the very first time they hear the why, the very first time that they hear about the blood that was spilled. And it's our job as, or our jobs as supervisors to inform people. And if you have to tell the story a thousand times with the same passion, the same energy, the same enthusiasm, so that people can understand why we're doing certain things in a safety way, they will get it. They will change their behaviors. They, you will influence them. There's no doubt in my mind. So... In this period of becoming a mine overseer, it was a very interesting and a dynamic period in my life because I was a, I was still a, the youngster among the few that was there. I think we were seven in total at, at the mine of mine overseers or mining superintendents. It was a fairly big mine. And I was sort of the outsider because I was the only one with a degree as, as, as a mine, mining superintendent. And some of the some of the some of my colleagues were significantly older than me, which is a common problem that I guess a lot of you face. That some people are many many more years more experienced than what you are, and you come in as a sort of a threat for them because they realise that you may become their, their boss one day, and it's a challenge always to you know to be promoted at the same place. And I specifically remember the one the one person one day sitting me down and he was very old school, old style type of, you know, command control person. And he told me in no uncertain terms that I'm going to be a failure. There, there's no ways that I, I'm going to make it as a mine overseer. <laughs> you don't tell me stuff like that. And I took it as a challenge and I really made the effort of developing relationships and showing my colleagues that are now my colleagues that I am, I, I've got what it takes to be a mine overseer. However, that didn't come without its pains because at the same time, the bigger company that's a quite a big international company and this mine was one of their mines and I was sent, um, I was privileged to be sent on a management development program with, with a business school and it's like a mini MBA. And every four to six weeks you would go off and travel quite a long distance because remember this town is quite remotely so it takes you about five or six hours driving just to get to a place where you can go and attend lectures for that week 
So every now and then I'm away for a week at the mine and my team had to carry on operating and doing their production and doing it safely while I was not there. And every time I came back, you know, there was a lot of things that didn't happen or, you know, a lot of a lot of balls that were dropped in and some of those being crystal balls that, you know, sort of caused a whole lot of havoc. And I, I got so frustrated with that. And fortunately there was one very good experience mine overseer that was in charge of the mines optimization studies and stuff and he had a lot of respect from the others and he was also a very good mentor and a coach to me and we sat down and I, I explained to you my challenges and I, I actually asked for help and and I mentioned that in my in the first podcast as well that it's so important to ask for help and I remember I was sitting down with him and explaining to him what has happened and and he gave me lots of good advice how to deal with a team, the team dynamics, and just trying to understand the different strengths and the weaknesses within that team of shift bosses. And then he sort of gave me a hint of which two shift bosses I should target to to get their points of view and to get their ideas about, you know, how the section changes that we should make and, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And because there's a lot of pride in a lot of us that, you you know, you do want to do it yourself and you do want to make show everybody that you can do it, there was still a lot of that in me that I didn't want to ask for help. I, I wanted to prove this other mine overseer wrong that I can do this job and I can do it well. Uh, but, yeah, I took my pride and you know, put it in my pocket and I approached two of them and, and we, we had a one-on-one conversations and I asked them for help. I asked their input. I asked how they would structure the section, how would they would make changes, what they would do. And some very good ideas came out of that session. And I think it was the first time we started trusting one another. And I could see these two that were basically the, the two most senior in that team. And the respect they had from the other chef bosses was, was clear. And... When I implemented their suggestions and gave them the credit for these for these suggestions, things really started turning around. I distinctly, before the session, I was called in by the general manager after we had another dismal performance uh, for another month on on you know safety production costs, and I said to him, I said, I said to him, sir, I I, I will. If this happens again, you know, I will willingly resign. That's how committed I was. And I was quite emotional about it. Then. And he said, no, I don't want you to resign. I just want you to fix it. Find out what the problem is and fix it and see and know that I'm there to help you. And that was quite embarrassing because I I had two other, I had a, you know, I, I had a production manager or assistant GM, you know, that was sort of more senior to me and he and he was reporting to the GM. And so... It was quite embarrassing that the GM called me in because we had quite an important section to run. And and he yeah, he had this talk with me. And I realized, look, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> the fact that the GM is talking to you about your section's performance. But he did it in such an awesome way. He was really a wonderful leader in that he he never it was never a command control. It's guys, 
how can we help, what's not working, you know, that sort of approach. And this was a discussion one-on-one in his office. And I took all the advice that I got from my team and we started building a team and we started building and getting to know each other and, and strengthening, leveraging the strength of the team. And within a few months, we were the top performing team and that resulted in my being promoted with, like with, I was only a year, mine overseer that I was promoted to an underground manager. And that's not to brag or just blow my own whistle here. It's or blow my own trumpet here. It's, this is, this is the, the result of obviously a, a, a team that was doing phenomenally well. And there was also a bit of luck and for good fortune in there that the mine needed an underground manager at that stage. And, you know, I, I had the qualification, I had the certificate, and so I was the only one there. So it was yeah, not as if there was a lot of competition at the time in the smaller remote mine. But there was also a period of, you know, learning my capability of dealing with a more senior group of people, people that have got you know, families that are well established and they've got children and they have uh, their, their own lives. And it was a wonderful learning for me in so many ways. One of the things that, and this is the last little bit of this conversation um, that I'll we'll, we'll finish off for today. One of the things that, that I learned there, because it was such a small community that, you know, drawing the line between work and Social time was very difficult for a lot of people. And I distinctly remember that one one of my colleagues as a mine overseer, he was fantastic in his day-to-day job. He was really good there. But there was cracks, a lot of cracks in his personality when he was not at the mine and he was socializing at back at town. And really back at town was like, you know, really we were in a remote area. So the town was next door to the mine. So you live in this very closed community and there's no hiding. So if you are emotionally, um, you know, not mature and doing well and you lose that in the community, that, you know, comes straight back to the mind and people lose a lot of respect for you. And during these two fatalities that I experienced and I was part of, I my my rock my boat was rocked in terms of emotional you know the emotional turmoil that one goes through and you ask yourself difficult questions and how could you have done things differently and these are families that are involved and uh, you stand next to the grave uh, you have to look the family in the eye you have to apologize on behalf of the mind apologize on you know you have to go through this very traumatic experience as as an individual and then you first time really realized, you know, the extent of this legal appointment that you carry. And it's a massive, it's massive responsibility. It's, it's a lot of people that rely on your leadership and your enablement to make sure they've got a safe environment to operate in with every day. And a lot of my own cracks started surfacing and I realized there was a lot of help that I needed. And I did, I did go for therapy and counseling, whatever you want to call it, to deal with it. And it was great to acknowledge the fact that I also had my 
my own breakdown, if you want to call it that, emotional breakdown. And, and I remember distinctly saying to my wife, I don't know if this mining thing is for me. Uh, I'm now a mining engineer, but I don't know if I can do this for the rest of my life. This is extremely hard. This is, this is a lot of pressure. This is, this is a lot. But I got through that through the right sort of support, and and that's really what I want to close off with is it's normal in mining to be under extreme pressure. It's normal to be in mining to have a lot of safety production, you know, issues that come up all the time, and you have to fix everything. You are Mr. or Mrs. Fix-It, and everybody rely on you to do it. And you don't have to do it alone. You... You can raise the hand and I would really want to motivate you today to say make sure you look after your emotional health. Make sure you look after yourself and your family. And when you feel you're not you're no longer coping, that's way deep, too deep already. You should see you should see the warning signs before the time and you should you should respond to those. So, but that's uh, quite a heavy note to finish off on. (laughs) Uh, Next week, we're going to cover quite a lot more on, call it the positive side of things. And when things started really turning for me in terms of getting results back and getting, uh, growing more, learning more. And I'm really excited about uh, next week will be the final podcast on, on my career. And then we're going to have some guests coming to us and speaking to us, telling us their stories about their learnings and how they have progressed through this, through all the ranks. And they will share with us so that we can learn from them. I am so, so glad that you have listened through all of this today. Thank you for still being there. And thank you. Have a wonderful time. Happy mining. Enjoy the rest of your day.